how to get a killer deal on your next car purchase. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Yeah, Brian, I'm super excited about this show, uh, as opposed to all the others, because most folks out there, if you are above the age of roundabout 16, either you have or you will have to go through the process of buying a car, whether it's your first car or your hundredth car, you're going to have to go through that. And some people like that process more than others, and some people especially despise that process more than others. I don't know if it's a worldwide phenomenon, but here in America... It is kind of, and it's baked into us because of all the marketing and everything else. I mean, did you have a crazy car dream growing up, Bo? I mean, like I knew when I was like 11 or 12, I was like, when I turn 25, I'm buying a Corvette. I thought my first car was going to be a Mustang GT 5.0, like mm-hmm. the 1990 GT 5.0 was, a, was I thought was going to be my first car. I've yet to buy that car. I don't know that I ever will. Uh, <laughs> So but you that did, was that you was my car, car dreams dream. too. That was my car dream. And that's a, that's the thing we probably should have talked about in show prep. I should have probably asked Reby. I should have asked Daniel. I should have asked Nate. What were your car dreams? Because look, it is in us, and the reason it is in us is because there's an entire industry that's trying to create an illusion on what cars will do for you. Here's what I think is interesting. If you, this is what they put in the brochure. This is what they put in the advertisements is that if you buy a new car, your neighbors are going to be so jealous oh, of how gonna, cool you are. Yeah, they're going to be looking through their windows at binoculars saying, man, that Brian, that pretty red sports car he's got, how did he do that? I wish I had one. You're going to be a better family person. I mean, your your your, your spouse, your kids, they just go love you more because you have this new car. You're going to be a sexier version of yourself. That's it's right. going to give you... The ability to tackle the open road, to go and have freedom, to go out there and just create your own adventures. Mm-hmm. This is all built into the illusion of what a car will do for you. And then there's one more big one that drives me crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, we're at this uh, special time of year where I feel like the idea or thought of purchasing a car is even more top of mind and front and center than even any other part of the year. I want everybody out there, when you see this screenshot that we put in here, I had Daniel, I specifically had Daniel put this in there. I want you guys in the comments section below, leave us a comment if this is not the most annoying commercial you've ever seen. Now, here's what's funny. This this commercial, I believe it's titled One for Me, One for You, One for Me. Um, it's a GMC vehicles. We got if you if you're listening to this in podcast land, we've got a brand new GMC top of the line. I think it's a Denali, Denali pickup think, truck, yeah. and then we got another GMC top of the line um, SUV here. And this this commercial drives me crazy because. And by the way, I did a Google search trying to find this image to send to Daniel. There's blogs on this commercial Actually, on this where people commercial. are more annoyed than I am. I had Daniel rolling with this um, with with some of the blogs I forwarded over to him, and I said, "Check this out." Now, here's why this is annoying to me. You first of all have a young couple here that are in front of their four to five million dollar <laughs> ski chalet because you just know if you look out the back of this house, it is on it's, some one of the nicest nice. ski resorts, and it, they have a really fancy driveway. 
Um, and they have these cars, and they, these they they have to be no more than thirty one years right. of age. They did this early, and on. Um, so so you have these people. This is a Black Friday, and here's the other part that drives me crazy. So the wife gives the husband like a Fitbit or some type of sports tracking thing. Right. And he's like, oh, this is great. Well, I got you a surprise, too. And they go out to the driveway. And he's like, surprise. And he has two brand new cars <laughs> sitting there. And, uh, you know, and the thought is, what's supposed to be funny, you know, you're supposed to go, ha, ha, that's funny, is that the <laughs> is that the truck is supposed to be the husband's, or at least that's right, what he's that's thinking. that's what he's thinking. And he's thinking the SUV is for his wife, but his wife goes for the truck. And, um, and you know, he's like, oh. You know, shucks, that's great. You know, it's fine. But and, and so that annoys some people. What annoys me is that if you are making such big financial decisions, because this is probably one hundred and twenty to one hundred forty thousand dollars worth at of least, vehicles, at least that a spouse bought without the other spouse's permission. By the way, let me go ahead and tell you how this plays out in the real world. In the last year, I've had people in my circle of friends and family that either at a meal. Or just a call or a text have kind of said, "Hey, Brian, um, what do you think about a spouse that buys a car while the other spouse is on vacation?" <laughs> uh, and I'm always like, "Ooh, ooh well, I don't want to touch this." Seems like some you know that because I've had friends that have their their spouse has been on vacation and the other spouse buys a vehicle. That is a horrible mm-hmm. decision. The other one is um, a classic car. You know, I've had I've gone to a lunch and uh, and the spouse. What do you think about a spouse that buys a classic car without getting the other spouse's permission? And those any type of big purchase. There's a reason when we've done marriage episodes. If you spend over a certain dollar amount, you better make sure that your partner. Um, financially and in life is also on board. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know about you, Brian, but I've I've tried before to buy my wife clothing. I don't do it often anymore. But it's really bad when you she like opens it up and she's like, "Oh, that's that's nice." And it's like a forty dollars sweater that you screwed up on. Can you imagine if she just didn't like the car or it wasn't the right interior? It wasn't. I don't know. Uh, even though this couple seems to have done very well for themselves in their chalet with their hundred forty thousand dollars of automobiles, I don't know that that's how we would recommend approaching making large financial decisions as a family. No, because here's the reality, and this is what I, you know, we talked about when we were doing show prep. Your car is likely actually making you poor. Now, a lot of folks hearing that be like, whoa, ha, ha, that doesn't make sense because my car is like a thing that I buy and it gets me place to place and I have to have a car. Mm-hmm. How can something that I have to have that's almost a basic necessity in life for me to do my day-to-day stuff, how can that be the thing that's making me poor? Well, because first of all, the cool factor is there. So you are falling prey to the marketing genius of the auto industry. But the second thing is these things are just horrible for your finances. Yep. And let's talk about all the ways that these things are doing you wrong. First of all, they depreciate like a rock, mm-hmm. especially if you're buying those two vehicles we saw on the screen earlier from the, the holiday commercials, the Black Friday commercials that GMC's doing. If you bought those vehicles five years in the future, you could get a 60% discount. Right. I mean, that that's that's disgusting that those things lose that much value. And we were talking in show prep. I think that an automobile might be one of the largest purchases that loses value the fastest of any that you can make. And yep. there's no real exception to that. All cars decrease in value unless it's like a collectible car, something like that. So if you're buying it tomorrow, it's going to be less than it's worth today. Well, it, not only is it bad from an investment standpoint, but you also have to pay for ownership. Yep. Because if you think about it, you have maintenance, 
you have to put fuel in it to keep it going. Yep. And then, you know, or at least charge it. That's for all my Tesla fans. <laughs> and then you, of course, have to pay for insurance, insurance. to, to, to insurance insure in case, yep. you, you know, if you had an accident or something happens. And last, you usually... Not if you're a money guy person, because we're going to give you the rules to protect you. But the majority of cars purchased out there, they use debt to facilitate mm-hmm. the transaction. So there's going to be interest right. also on this, what's going on financially. That is horrible for your financial life. So there's a sunk cost in loss of value. There's a sunk cost in maintenance. And then if you're buying it with debt, there's a sunk cost in, in- interest so it's really hard to come out positive in this transaction. Yeah, I mean, because you're, you're basically, all those are negative, negative, negative. Mm-hmm. But look, I can already hear you. A lot of you guys are like, man, I've got to have transportation. Sure. You know, because that, that's the other thing they get you is they're like, you've got to have transportation. You know, so you might as well look cool doing it. But let's talk <laughs> about actually what are the good ground rules to protect yourself so that you can insulate your mind. There's a reason Volkswagen a number of years ago had a commercial where they had a Volkswagen bug that that started very small on the gentleman's head. Tiny, tiny bug. And then they kept showing how it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger on, you know, as it was occupying more of his mind space. That is the reality right. of how cars are. You'll go smell that the, the the smell of a new car. You'll go test drive it, and you'll be like, "Oh man, I need to do this. This is what I what I need to do." So let's talk about how do you protect yourself. So here is the first ground rule, and if you've listened to us for any amount of time, you know that we subscribe to the twenty three eight rule. And this is what we say. And by the way, we've had a lot of questions on this. This is not just for new cars. This is for new or used cars. If you're exactly approaching right. an automobile purchase, you need to subscribe to twenty three eight. And what that means is you're going to put twenty percent down on the purchase of the car, you should not finance it for any more than three years or 36 months. And you have to make sure that whatever your payment for that automobile is, it does not exceed 8% of your gross monthly income. So figure out what you have coming in on a monthly basis, multiply that times 8%. Your car payment cannot be more than that. But there's an asterisk on our 23.8 rule. Well, it, obviously, if you're buying a luxury brand, you want to pay for it almost like cash. Yep. I'm going to give you a little freedom on that, but it, it is pretty much same as cash because I don't want you getting out above your skis on what your wallet can afford. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I think a lot of some people who are new to the Money Guy show have had some confusion about 23.8. When we say 8% of your gross income, I've had, I had somebody ask me in, in YouTube comments section, they said, okay, if I make $100,000, you're saying the car can't exceed $8,000? I said, no, no, your payments, total payments for the year cannot exceed $8,000. That's, right. That's the big part of it. And, and look, we're giving you flexibility. I think this is what is unique about financial order of operations. What's unique about the Money Guy Show is that we try to actually give you financial guidance that you use in life that's more realistic because it's easy to be a pundit, especially somebody who's we're more mature in our financial Mm -hmm. journey to look at everybody and say, you should only pay cash for all of your vehicles. That, that's kind of, that sounds great, but it might not be practical, but it's not what I did when I was Mm -hmm. 24 years old. It was not what I did when I was 32 years old. So we need to kind of make sure these ground rules actually reflect real life. So I have one other piece of guidance that will keep people, just like we have the one year on luxury cars, here's one more rule that will keep people from putting their financial life in the ditch. Sure. No matter what your car payment, if you are going to take us up on 23.8, meaning the flexibility of financing instead of paying 100% cash, here's one more piece of guidance you need to listen up for. And this is worth repeating. 
your monthly investments should always exceed your car payment. I don't I don't care if it's a used car, I don't care if it's a new car. If you if your car payments are much more than your investments, you're doing it absolutely wrong. That is a disaster. You need to have more money going into investments which are building wealth mm-hmm. versus going into vehicles which are depreciating and sucking wealth out of your your financial life. Yeah, so in practical terms, if you're not saving at least $200 a month to your army of dollar bills, you don't need a $200 car payment. If you're not saving at least $1,000 a month to your army of dollar bills, you don't need a $1,000 car payment. It's a really easy litmus test to make sure that you are keeping it inside the lines. Well, it's gotten so easy to go. I mean, look, this is not 23.8. I'm just telling you what dealerships will do. Even on something like a Tesla, you can go do... You can get up to a, a six or seven year loan mm-hmm. these days. Yep. So it's easy to turn a very expensive car to where you might have eight hundred dollar a month payments. And you're like, well, you know, I can afford eight hundred dollars. But if you're not saving eight hundred to a thousand, you know, you're doing it completely That's wrong. Because right. what I don't want to see is somebody go somehow justify in their head it's okay to spend eight hundred dollars a month on a car payment while they're saving 150 bucks into right. their investments. That's a complete disaster. You'll wake up when you're my age and go, why don't I have more money? You know, and, and that's why I want you to not fake it until you make it. We actually want you to build wealth. Now, one of the things I love about doing the show the way we do is we have this live stream going on, and you guys ask us questions in here, and we'll save some for the end, but two questions just came in that I thought were great. Uh, one question was, hey, guys, when, you, when you're talking about this 8%, 23 8%, is it your gross income or your net income, your take-home? We recognize that when you're just starting out, it might be a hard road to toe to kind of make all the numbers fit and be able to do everything. So we give you some wiggle room and we say it's based off of your gross income. Now, if you want to be really, really conservative, then okay, use your net income. But our rule of thumb, 23.8 is 8% off of gross income. Now, here's the other question that came in. All right, guys, I hear that. You talk about my monthly payment. Does that include maintenance or does that exclude maintenance? Again, the answer to the question is it depends on how conservative you want to be. When we talk about the monthly payment, we're really talking about the principal and interest on the auto loan, excluding maintenance. But if you can get all of the costs, insurance and everything else to be inside that 8%, it's gravy. You just have that much more affordable of a car. Yeah, it really depends upon how you how far into your financial journey you are. I mean, because you'll look, when I was first starting out, I know we're doing a show on vehicles, but think about car. I mean, via I mean houses. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I went through went through all of everything but housing just then <laughs> through my brain. But when you think about housing, we have a rule for that too. It's twenty five percent of your gross income. Yep. Look, when I'm younger, I'm I'm hitting that thing as much as I can, and it's just principal, interest, and and taxes and insurance, and that's it. Yep. Um, but as you get older and you're more secure, and you're trying to make sure you're not, you know boosting your lifestyle to a point that it's impacting your financial life, that 25% might have expanded beyond principal interest insurance and taxes to also include utilities. So, I mean, it's the same thing with your cars. I just don't want you jumping into the luxury train of buying nice cars before your financial life actually reflects you being warranted to do that. Now, since you said a house, I think it's important to kind of make a note here because a lot of folks say, oh, well, you know, if I buy a really good car, you know, it's not really... I'm not buying it. It's an investment. It's an asset. Hear hear us loud and clear here. (laughs) Automobiles are not investment assets. They're use assets. And so whenever we use that kind of terminology, we've got to do sort of a Webster's uh, Dictionary definition. Investment assets, generally speaking, are expected to increase in value over time. I buy something for $100 today. I'd like for it to be worth $200 tomorrow. 
use assets, especially cars, especially cars, very generally, not, not all the time, but in most circumstances, decrease in value over time. I expect to pay $100 for it. I'm going to use it. And then later on, I'm going to sell it for something less than I paid for it. Now that doesn't always hold true, but it's a good rule of thumb to keep in mind when you're doing your annual net worth statement, you're putting all the things on there you bought throughout the course of the year. You should ask yourself, was this an investment or was this a use asset? That's a great way of putting it. I would, um, you know, the only thing I want to talk about, add to it as well, is because I think a lot of people are going to absorb a lot of this and they're going to say, wow, that's, that's a lot to think of the 23.8, the investments over, you know, the, the car payments. There's another decision that everybody faces and they're trying to figure out when is the right time, new versus sure. used. Yep. I mean, I think this is a, a big decision point that a lot of people struggle with is because you're trying to figure out where do I fall on that. The first thing you need to understand is let's talk about depreciation of new cars. Yeah, so we had uh, FTE Daniel put together some data from Edmonds, and I thought this was pretty remarkable. This actually shows in the first 10 years of an automobile how much the value of that automobile on average depreciates through time. And this is for a new car. So you see, generally speaking, on average, uh, year one, it holds about 81% of its value. Year two, 69% of its value. Year three, 58, 49, 40, 33, and so on. Every year, because it's a use asset, it becomes less and less valuable. Yeah, I mean, what I think is interesting is like that first year, it loses 19%. Here's what will blow your mind. That 19% is not an equal amount every month. Right. It actually loses 10% in the first month Oof. that you own it. So so think about that. I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal that you know that half of that first year depreciation actually occurs in the first few weeks you drive it off the lot. It literally, as you drive it off the new car lot, just basically dropped 10% of its value. Now, as we were talking in show prep, and I thought this was beautiful, we, we arrived at the conclusion that all new cars depreciate, right? It's going to happen. It's just a function of who's going to pay the depreciation. Yeah. Are you, the consumer, going to be the one that pays that first couple years of depreciation? Or are you going to try to pick up that car that might be three, four, five years old? And so that's why I always said, if you're thinking about buying a used car and you're kind of basing this off of the depreciation scale, the sort of ideal time to buy a used car is some time between year four and what's that seven four and yeah somewhere I mean in that somewhere range. between I I'm willing to give a little more once again I love adding flexibility because I I think about my own life and how I did things because I never want us to be somebody who gives one piece of advice but then we did something completely sure. different I think if you are somebody who can think of terms of somewhere between years three through six. Mm -hmm. What you're at, what you're really, your decision there is, do I want a 40% off coupon or do I want a 60% off coupon? And that's, that's really the choice that you yeah. have there. Still a 40% off is pretty good for a three, you know, because a three-year-old car, what, what's interesting, my wife's car is three years old. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that this morning um, as, as we were doing. I still feel like it's a brand new car. I mean, Even I, though I still, yeah, because yeah. it's three years old. Um, it has like right at 30,000 miles. That car is brand new. I, I, the, the people who go and trade in a car every year, I don't get it because this still feels like a brand new car after mm -hmm. it's three years old. So I, I, ask yourself, three, which is a 40% discount, six, which is going to be you know close to a 60% mm -hmm. discount. The choice is yours. It's much better than buying a new car. And here's the other thing to give you perspective. I didn't buy my first new car. Because I think there's a, we have a, we know our biggest group of listeners 
are people in that 20, like 25 years old mm -hmm. to 34 years of age. Mm -hmm. That is our biggest segment that's out there on YouTube. Sure. I didn't buy my first new car until I was 32 years old. So every car purchase, and there were a number of them that you made prior to 32 were all used cars. You didn't yes. go to the lot and buy one off the lot brand new. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of folks, because you just said you can get a better deal. I imagine the maintenance costs on used cars tend to be a little bit lower when you think about insurance and that sort of thing. There's nothing wrong with buying used cars. Right. And I think that's something when you're, because people out there in YouTube world and in comment sections, I see 20-somethings that know I love Tesla, mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out how they can buy a Tesla. Sure. And, and that, that, that concerns me a little bit because I want to make sure you get the financial order of operations right, that you're not putting how cool you'll look ahead of where your financial life is going and making sure you're put, building the right foundation. So I want to kind of pivot to when does a new car make sense? Now, this is something that I'm excited about, Brian, because I feel like in the personal finance space, for years and years and years, the only answer was, if you're going to be a responsible financial decision maker, you have to buy a used car. Yep. I would say that our advice is not necessarily that hard and fast. We think there actually are times when a new car could make sense. Fair, fair statement on my part? Fair statement, but let's put, let's put some ideas and thoughts out here. First of all, we have like one of our, one of our dear employees, Carol. Mm -hmm. Yep. Her and her husband, super successful financially. Yep. I think they are under the camp. If you if you had a, like a a meter of where you are on used versus new, they're solidly pretty much not all the way over, but they pretty much only buy only used ever cars. Only buy used cars, and I think that makes them great. Now, there's another group because I know you have bought new cars. Yep. I know I've bought new cars. Does that mean that we're horrible with money? No. Here's here's the key determining factor: the vehicle purchase doesn't impact or decide whether or not you're financially successful. I think that's such a great point. So the decision to buy a new car is not because there was some concession of, oh, you know what, I really want that new car. I'm just going to decrease my 401k contribution. Exactly. I'm just not going to max out my Roth. It's not that. It's that they're at a place and a stage in life where they can afford to pay a premium for something that they place value on. Yeah. Now, is it a good financial decision? Of course not. Sure. But you have enough margin. Remember, you're already doing all the other things in financial order of operations where you're saving 20 to 25% for retirement. You're doing all the things like thinking about prepaid expenses mm -hmm. with the kiddos in college and so forth. And you still have enough margin in your life that, you know what, you're willing. You know it's a sucker's bet, mm -hmm. but you're willing to let some of those dollars go into an asset that, that that's going to depreciate. Now, here's the way I justify this in my brain. I know I'm driving this car for eight to 10 years. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a sucker's bet, but I like the, the fact that I know where that car came from. I like the convenience. I don't have to worry about it getting at me where I'm going. And don't forget, I didn't do this until I was over 32 years of age. I had built up a lot of armies already doing the right things that that margin, yes, I can maximize more dollars, but it's not it's not blowing up the financial plan. Yeah, and I think there's some pretty solid mathematics there. If you are long-term car drivers, which both of us are, likely you're going to come out better if you buy a new car and drive it for 10 years. Your dependability is going to probably be a, a lot more assured than if you buy a car that's seven to eight years old and try to drive that for 10 years. Because then you're talking about a car that's approaching 20 years old, it may not just keep up the way that a new car will. And the other thing you have to factor in is that brands matter. Yep. Uh, I know that we've given this advice before too, Brian, where someone will say to us, hey, 
I'm going to go buy, you know, I can finally <laughs> afford that BMW or that Mercedes. It's only $40,000. Now, now it's six years old, but I can finally afford it. And we're like, you realize for that exact same price, you could go buy the Honda or Toyota, fill in the blank, and get a brand new car for the same price that you're about to pay for that six-year-old car. Maybe you should think about the brand that you're buying and where in the buying cycle it makes sense to do that. So we actually we had FTE Daniel go do some research on how different brands depreciate, and this was this was kind of educational. Um, the only shock, I mean, there were a few shocks on here, and the first of all, Toyota and Honda, I had no doubt they would be of at the course. top of the list of holding their value. Um, the best Subaru? I had explain, no idea. For those out there in uh, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, explain what we're looking at if they can't see the screen right so now. So we, we have put up on the screen a, a graph that shows depreciation over the first three years of ownership by brand. Mm-hmm. And the three that are dropping the slowest in the first three years is Subaru, Toyota, and Honda. Great. Yeah. Subaru kind of shocked me a I, little I, bit. I wouldn't have guessed Subaru, but Toyota and Honda certainly. Now, the three worst brands, meaning the brands that just get crushed in those first three years, the worst is Land Rover. So all those Range Rovers and all those things you see out there that you look at them out there in Hollywood and you go, ooh, those people, they got money. <laughs> they also got lots of depreciation. <laughs> and then the next brand was um, Mercedes, Mercedes and yep. then Jaguar. Jaguar. What's funny is when I saw it on there, I knew you weren't going to be able to say it without doing it that way. No, it's, it's I a just Jaguar. Know, I know that's how you say it. So that's that's it's 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 horrible at depreciating. Mm-hmm. So those are the three worst brands. I then asked Daniel. I said, Daniel, I said we cannot do this, show this chart without at least having some of the largest U.S. manufacturers. Sure. So we put Ford and Chevrolet on here. Great. And they they actually, they kind of came right in between. They were in the um, middle ground. They were right in so the middle. They, yeah. were, they really were in the middle. So I would pay attention to brands because it definitely matters um, when, when you're trying to figure out. Just to give you perspective, after three years, Subarus typically are worth about 71% of their original purchase price. Okay. Toyotas are sixty nine percent of their original purchase price, and Hondas are sixty nine percent. The worst brands, Jaguar, uh, is only worth. Um, did I say that wrong? <laughs> no, you like, nailed it. I love it. So I'm making sure because these numbers are a little reversed. So it looks like okay. Here it is. The Land Rover depreciates fifty six percent. The Mercedes-Benz is is also 56, and then the Jaguar is 52%. So you can see that uh, not all cars are created equal. So when it comes time for you to make your purchase, you might want to think about, if I'm just dead set on buying a Mercedes, if I'm someone, I'm just, that's the car that I'm going to buy. For whatever reason, that's the car you're going to buy. Perhaps you don't want to buy that car new. If you know that that's going to be the brand, perhaps you should look used. If you're someone who says, you know what, I'm going to buy a Toyota, I'm going to buy a Honda, perhaps because of other factors that we'll mention, you should buy that new. Now, I know in our personal circumstance, me and my wife, there was another reason that we bought a new car. And we bought our first new car, uh, we bought our first new SUV back right before we had our second baby. Okay. And this is what I said. I said, okay, I could go buy a used car, but I really want the safety features. I want the, like the, uh, the, you know, the thing where my wife starts like not paying attention and drifts over and it like shoots her back over. I wanted that one, the cruise control where it like slows down. Some of the older automobiles didn't have that. And so for me, it was worth paying a little bit more for that peace of mind, a little bit more for that security to go buy a new reasonably priced car as opposed to buying a used car. So there are other times when it does make sense to buy new. 
I, I hear you on that because that's something I struggled. You know, I have a 17 year old daughter. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, let me tell you guys: <laughs> if you want to know fear, have your child that you brought into this world get them old enough to start driving, and you're like, oh my gosh! Oh, I mean, like we had Halloween last weekend, right? She drove herself to her friend's Halloween party, and okay. I'm like. Oh Lord, just please bring her home. <laughs> please just keep bring her, her safe. home, you know, because it's just a scary thing. Anybody who has driving children, you understand. So I, I struggled. I will tell you because I've always said um, I want her. I like teaching good financial management to my children. Mm-hmm. So I always told her, and I told her this from a young age because you can't plant this seed. Just like your market, the marketers are out there planting seeds in your children's head. To where I had a dream by the time I was ten or eleven years old of that Corvette that I never bought, by the way. They're planting those seeds in your your kids' heads. You need to counteract that with your own seeds of of building good financial decision-making. I told my daughter from a young age, I'll buy her any car up to $12,500 matching dollars that she saves up. So if she got like real froggy and saved up, you were willing to buy her a $25,000 car if, if she, she covered if half she the cost. If she could save up 12,500. Sure. Now she didn't save up 12,500 <laughs> fortunately. So but we did she was able to save up a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So we bought we have a used 13-year-old sedan car that's sure. a, you know essentially a Toyota. Yep. And um because it's 13 years old, it doesn't have it didn't have a rear view camera, which I feel like is a big deal these days. It didn't it doesn't have anything I'd be nervous. I'd be nervous my, my wife doesn't listen to the show. I'd be nervous at this point in our life, her not having a review camera. I can say that because she's not listening. But yeah. I, that's a that's it. People don't think of that as a safety feature. That's a huge safety well, feature. Well, cars also back then didn't stop for you instead of running dead into things. True. Whereas now, like my car, it's hard. I mean, look, I go into the lane just for a little drift because I'm cutting the corner. The car yells at me. It <laughs> jerks me back into the lane. It yells at me. Um, it also, you know... If you get up on a car too quick, it's it gonna turns it red. Down, it tells yeah. you to slow down. Th- 13 years ago, you are lucky if it had an auxiliary port. <laughs> so it just didn't have those type of features. So I really struggled Do I because I could afford to go buy her a new car with much better safety features or to let her build the financial discipline. Sure. I went the financial discipline route in the fact that I let her pay for half. I'm paying for half. Um I still have to say prayers but, but a lot you, but about But you it. are doing stuff, too, because like now you can do aftermarket uh, I did a rear view camera. camera. So I went to Costco. Do, That's what sure. we went to Costco this weekend to buy her a better mm-hmm. HD, yep. bigger screen backup camera because the other one was malfunctioning sure. that I'd self-installed. So there are things like that, but I think it, it, you have to take it. I think you make some valid concerns that, that technology is moving so fast that these cars are safer. Um, so... Look, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just something you have to consider what's sure. right for your family. So let's, I want to pivot and talk about now the buying process. Now, what I imagine is out there in audience world, there was an audible gasp of the folks who hate the buying process and then like some giddiness for folks who love the buying process. And in my experience, you fall into one of two camps. You either really enjoy buying a car or you really loathe buying a car. I think I fall in the camp where I I think in the past I've gotten really good deals. So I think I'm decently good at getting a good deal, but I loathe the process. I actually hate the reindeer games that I feel like traditional legacy auto manufacturers Put you through, but look, I want to go. I want to go the other way because I'm going to talk about in a second how the the things are changing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Matter of fact, let's go ahead. Let's kind of talk about how times are changing because this will. I will tell you the heartburn that even with times changing, it's it's brought upon me. First of all, 
I, something that was revolutionary on buying used cars mm-hmm. was CarMax. Y'all huge. remember now? Look, that sounds so old school now, but I remember when CarMax came on the scene. What's so funny is I can look, look around the room and see some of our younger content folks, and you're like, it was revol- CarMax, and they're like, no, CarMax they're like, Car- is revol- CarMax has always been, been around. I mean, don't you, Reby? You probably have never known life, but you know, you just. You didn't know. You sold the car. You put a sign. You rolled your car out to the to the <laughs> biggest intersection in your hometown, you, you and you asked put a, guy a sign owned, on it. You asked a guy that owned the local pharmacy if you could park it in. His, I remember that you yeah. could park it. Now in his you can go get a price lot. from CarMax on used cars. You can also go shop online, um, and then so that that's one thing. You still have to go there, but the, the times have changed even more in the fact that Carvana. Yep. Now they'll, they'll bring the roll the car out to your house. This I'm is. Dry, a, I, I don't know why I keep saying rolling out. I guess I'm, I'm, that's my own. <laughs> My own bias towards they drive them. Yeah, they drive what them I to think you. is interesting is I've never bought a car through Carvana, but I have a lot of neighbors and friends who swear by the process. They're like, yeah, you know, it's basically like shopping online, and I just swipe through and swipe through and swipe through, and I click, and then it shows up, and it's wonderful. And they love the process. They've taken a lot of the the seediness that you're talking about and the traditional auto industry. They've kind of taken that out of the process. And then this is those are both used cars. Now those are both ways that you could sell your car as well as buy new, sure. you know, used a new used car for yourself. But then fast forward and there's also now there's Tesla on the scene. <laughs> and that's you buy that all through the web. I mean they don't even call their locations dealerships. They're service centers. Now I think you told me when you when you bought yours, you basically are buying sight unseen. You basically like build this thing on the computer and they call and like, hey, your car's ready, come pick it up. Yeah, you start sending you emails saying, Hey, your car is um, you know, it's time for you to to kind of pay your twenty five hundred bucks or whatever and we'll put the order in and then you show they call and say, Hey, the car is here, come pick it up and that's when you either pay the rest of it or you do a loan to, to finance. No, I think what's beautiful about that, now I imagine it was still an emotional decision doing the Tesla and building it and deciding what you want to put on. But there was no pressure, right? Like if you're just sitting at your keyboard, there's no one telling you, oh, you got to do this one. Oh, you got to do this. So for you, the online purchasing practice was a lot more favorable or, or you liked it a lot better than the in-person well, or do you like the that's in-person? That's what's weird. That's what's weird because I told you I, hate, I loathe the car buying purchase process, but like I said, I consider myself pretty good at it. I don't know that I loved – look, and I have a weird analogy here. <laughs> this didn't come up in show prep. I have no idea where he's going with this weird analogy. I've gone to Disney World a lot. Okay. In the past, you could go to Disney World and you could do the Disney Dash, and if you knew how to manipulate the Fast Pass system. Oh, yeah. I've, seen, could, I've seen you do yeah, that in you, real time. You went early that. enough with me. I took you to Disney World, and I, you saw how I was able to manipulate the Fast Pass system. The, a little bit of preparation made you a, gave you a much better park experience than the person that just showed up from Cincinnati that it knew nothing about Walt Disney World. Sure. So, I mean, so I had a distinct advantage because of my preparation. This Tesla purchase, the same mindset bothered me. It's because I'm used to, if I work a little bit harder, if I do a little bit more preparation, I'm usually, as I'm a financial mutant, I get rewarded for, for that, that extra, extra work. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a mantra of my life is, and I tell that to my my daughter, my oldest daughter, all the time is like, you've got to be willing to do the stuff that others won't do, and that success will come much easier for you if you understand that concept. Well, you go buy a Tesla, it bothers me. I'm getting the same price as the person that just <laughs> hit the button. I don't know how to explain that. Now, maybe that will will it deadens from the fact that you love the car and it goes well, but. It is a a little bit of a, a mind play on yourself that you cannot get a better deal 
um, than anybody else. So, okay, so you're obviously on the mutant side where you like to do that. I know a lot of folks are on the other side, and, they, and maybe you're not in in the in the uh, world where you're buying a Tesla. Maybe that's not something you're looking for, and you're not going to do the like online thing. So, what are some of the things you can remember if you are going to buy a car in person? The very number one biggest piece of advice we can give you is emotions are not your friend. When it comes to any big purchases, whether it's houses or cars or fill in the blank, being emotional going into it is usually not going to play to your favor. Well, and the way to avoid emotions, first of all, is you don't do in-person purchases. It doesn't even do that at all. You need you need to go into this understanding is that it's in-person versus online. You're going to, the only time you're going to show up in person at a car dealership is to go test drive, meaning a fact finding mm-hmm. mission, or basically to close the transaction. Yep. That is if you're buying it under the old traditional car buying legacy, you know, process. So that's because you mentioned you want to be on your home turf, mm-hmm. not theirs. There's a reason they have the sales manager in the elevated desk. There's a reason they play the reindeer games where your salesperson goes, man, you must have caught him on a good day today because you know <laughs> he's giving you one heck of a deal. I mean, there's all kinds of shenanigans that are going on there. It's better if you just avoid it. You let them know, hey, I am pricing this. You go figure out. Here's what's great about car purchases mm-hmm. now. Because everything's online, you can go view... Even used car, as well as new cars, the inventory of pretty much everything like around Like what they you. actually have sitting on the so lot. You can, it's available. not hard to go find two to three cars that are exactly alike. And then once you have two to three cars in your area that you're willing to go drive to to pick these cars up, you got them at that point. Because mm-hmm. now you can go put A versus B, B versus C, C versus A, and you can see who gives you the best deal. And what I love about that, this is the thing, I don't know about you guys, but every time I've ever bought a car, there's always someone interested. I guess I'm just the unluckiest car buyer on the face of the planet. There's always somebody else who's interested in the very car that I'm looking at. Well, what's great is if I have my A car, my B car, my C car at different dealerships, okay, great. If that other guy, let them have that one. I'll go talk to BNC and we'll be just fine. It's another way to just remove the emotion from the decision-making process. Those are behavioral manipulations when they create an environment of scarcity that you need to buy now to make this transaction so that person doesn't come buy it out from underneath you. That's all it is. It's a manipulation tactic. Don't fall prey for it. Um, it, You know, so that's the thing. Take advantage of knowing where the inventory Mm -hmm. is, knowing what your options are. And you will do much better in the process. Now, let's talk about how do you actually get a good deal on the vehicle since we, we've kind of moved past the purchase sure. process. Um, you know, I've already talked about research is your friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys, remember how I was just talking about I'm bothered by buying a Tesla that you don't get that edge. Fortunately, the lion's share of car purchasers are still getting rewarded for that edge of doing research. Mm -hmm. Go and do the work that others won't do. Find out what things are worth. Find out what MSRP, find out what you know, invoices and find out if there's even more. And we can kind of go through each one of those. Yeah, that's great. You said uh, you threw out some vocabulary there. And again, anytime we ever throw out vocabulary, we want you guys to be aware of that. So you really need to understand the three components when it comes to buying the car. And the first component you just kind of mentioned is purchase price, right? Well, purchase price, which sounds pretty easy, surprisingly, the dealerships have found a way to make it very, very confusing. You go in, you're like, well, how much does this car cost? 
you'll get like four different answers. <laughs> so we want to kind of straighten that out for you. So the first is MSRP. And what is MSRP? It's just the manufacturer's suggested retail price, or this is the sticker price. It's what the car builder is recommending that you, the dealership sell the price for. It's yeah, their recommended I, I think, sales price. You know, I, I think it actually represents manufacturer sucky ripoff price. <laughs> Did you just make that up right now? Yeah, kind of. Manufacturer. I, mean, I couldn't figure. I wish I could have made something better with the M. Manufacturer but, you know. sucky ripoff price. All right. That so works. I mean, it's not the real price. That's what they're going to tell you. That's what the sticker price on the car is. Mm-hmm. You're not paying that. If you pay that, something's wrong. You're doing the process all wrong. So then the next one is there is this thing called the dealer's invoice. Well, this is the price that appears in the invoice that the manufacturer sends to the dealer. However, big asterisk here, it may not actually be what the dealer paid for that car. Yeah, dealers have gotten smart. They know that, hey, you can go on the internet, you can figure out what the MSRP price is, you can also figure out what the invoice price, and I'll tell you, this is what we're paying for this car. Nope. Nope. Because look, there's a, there's multiple things going on behind the scenes. In a way, they're telling you the truth, but they're not telling you the whole truth. Mm-hmm. Because recognize the manufacturer does deals all the time. They'll do holdback deals. They'll also do how many volume deals, um, uh, meaning that if a dealership does a certain quantity of vehicles, they'll, they'll give them rebates on it. Mm-hmm. There's all kind of additional ways that you can make money on vehicles. So even if it's a dealer invoice, you can buy below invoice if you catch the dealer when they're in their right incentive cycle, right time of year. There are ways to get even below invoice and price. What I think is beautiful is, again, we've already said sort of the internet is your friend. You can actually go in there and see what other folks are paying for that same vehicle in your area. There's a number of online resources you can use to do that. So don't think that when you walk up to the dealership, the two prices that are on the sticker, the price that they tell you, are the prices you have to pay. You can come equipped with knowledge. Again, if you just take that little bit extra, you'll set yourself up for a benefit. So remember, the first component of the three components we're going to talk about on how they try to price vehicles is purchase price. I want to give you one more caution on this. Okay. Because dealers have gotten even... It's kind of crazy. This is, I even have to say this. You'll see the MSRP... And then to the right of it, you'll see things that they've done at the dealership to increase the price. This is essentially the undercarriage coating, (laughs) you know, because you'll see etching of your windows. Uh You'll see, um, you know, that they'll put. I mean, it's it's a bunch of ridiculous stuff. It's it's ridiculous stuff that every bit of all the things that are on there are typically negotiable because they're all high margin type things that the dealership has done. So don't just assume. Hey, I got to pay that too. Just because the dealer did it doesn't mean you should have to pay for it. All right, so purchase price is the first thing you need to understand. The second thing you need to understand is trade-in. For most of us, when it's time for us to go buy a new car or potentially buy a used car, but we're going to buy from a lot, they offer an incentive. Hey, if you have your car, we'll actually buy it from you. Uh, They're not kind. They're not doing this because they just want to be generous to you. They recognize, hey, If you sell me your car, we can go sell it to someone else and we can make more than we're going to pay you for it. So you really need to understand the value of the car that you may be trading in. Well, car dealerships know they have a slight advantage on trade-ins because remember, this is the second component. They know that one of the reasons you'll do a trade-in is because whatever in most states, I don't want to say all states because it might be a little different where you live, but in most states... When you trade in, that's essentially like a like-kind exchange. You're trading in a vehicle. They'll let you exempt out of a portion of the sales tax on the purchase. So that's actually a benefit Mm -hmm. to you, but that should not be such a benefit 
that the offer that they give you is so low that it negates the benefit. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those things. Here's here's a, a tip for you guys. Use services, go on the internet and go to places like Kelly Blue Book. Sure. That's kbb.com. And they'll show you multiple prices. I think you can do this on Edmonds as well, yep. where you can get what a private party mm-hmm. sell or what a dealer is going to try to sell it to you for, what a private party sell is, and then what dealer trade-in is. Go look at those things, and then look at the difference between that private party and the dealer to see if that sales tax adjustment on that purchase price is worth it, mm-hmm. or if the convenience is worth it that you're not trying to sell it yourself. Um, you've got to pay attention to those things because it comes into play. And a good way if you want to go ahead and just know if it's a good price Show up. Remember, an ounce of preparation is going to save you tons of money. Go to CarMax exactly or go to say. Carvana yep. and see what your car, get a quote on your car before you go to the dealership to see what the trade-in is. And you can then compare and contrast what you can easily go sell it for at CarMax versus what the trade-in and see if that sales tax adjustment warrants working with the dealership. Now, I have found in my personal car buying experience, this is where I have the most flexibility. If I need to get that extra $500, that extra $1,000 to make the deal really make sense for me, uh, meaning I feel good that I got a good deal, I usually am able to do that in my trade-in because the dealer might say, hey, look, we can't, we cannot, we literally cannot sell this car for any less. We're at the bottom, bottom, bottom price we can sell it to you for. And I'd be like, great, awesome. I understand that. Why don't you give me an extra $500 of my trade-in and we'll sign the paperwork and I'll get out of here. That works sometimes. So just understand, it's another place that you can squeeze the balloon because ultimately what you care about is how much money is coming out of your back pocket. You could care less if it's in purchase price or trade-in value. They're roughly the same to you, minus the sales tax offset. Yeah, you said something. I want to make sure nobody takes for granted when we use sayings. You said squeeze the balloon. Mm-hmm. Everybody recognize. I want you to have a visual with this, guys, is that when you're dealing with a car purchase, a vehicle purchase, it is the balloon. <laughs> and, and, and like I said, there's three components. It doesn't matter. You could basically draw, take a balloon and think of a balloon that you're doing that you could fold into animals, turn into a balloon dog or something okay. like that. You know, when you go to the restaurant and the guy's making this or the lady's making it, you can look at this big balloon, assuming you're not bending it all up. It's just a big, long balloon that you're leaving a little space at the end mm-hmm. so that you can do all the bending if you drew with a, a permanent marker a line for purchase price, put another line um, over here, and that middle part would be trade-in, and then over here on the right's the financing, it's all the same balloon, but you can squeeze it in each one of those different components. Mm-hmm. It's still the same balloon. It's just a matter of where you squeezed and put the pressure. And that's exactly what Bo's talking about when he says when you squeeze the balloon, he's talking about you could ask for another $500 here. Yep. And you might be able to, to, to take advantage of that. That's exactly right. So then the third component of buying a car is the financing. Now, this one I think is really, really interesting because I think this has changed over time. But this is basically where they say, hey, how are you going to pay for this car? Are you going to write us a check or are you going to finance it? In my opinion, you may disagree with this, I always think this should be the last step. I never actually let it out of the bag whether I'm financing or paying cash, until I've already gotten my drive out No, I completely agree with that because I will tell you guys, this is getting to be a bigger profit center than other places. I was at a a Halloween party this weekend, and one of the the people there is is a pilot who also, he he deals with, he owns the company that does the leasing Mm -hmm. of people who buy shares and jets and planes and things like that. And we were talking about big manufacturers like the Boeings, the Airbuses, and he said they have gotten to the point 
where they're making it, they don't necessarily make their money on the plane they make their money on the length of the financing hmm. they've turned into banks in a yeah, lot of ways yeah, yeah. so so that's why when we have like a pandemic it's the future orders that actually is really impacting them. Guys, it's the same way with cars. That's why when we start doing show prep, I want to give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about. If you pull up and we look at 2009, you can see that the profit on the car was $837. So when a dealer sold a car in 2009, they made approximately $837 for the sale of that car. Fast forward to 2019, they're making three hundred eighty-one dollars. You're like, well, oh my god! Power dealerships not going out of money. Look no, how much it's less so money sad. they're making. It's so sad. That must be because of the the internet and jerks like Brian and Bo that are telling everybody how to make money off of get the best deal on dealerships. Those poor, poor dealerships are getting rocked by those jerks at the Money Guy show who are telling everybody how to get the best deal possible. Before you go and create a support group for the dealerships out there, there has been a change in the industry. Look at this. I thought this was shocking. They still make the same money. They actually make a little bit more because financing has made up the difference. In 2009, they typically made about $516 on each car that came through there from financing. Fast forward to now, it's almost $1,000 on every vehicle is from finance, and they're becoming banks. Yep. This is, it's becoming more profitable to be a bank than it is to be an auto manufacturer or to be a dealership. And you see that with how much of the profit actually comes from you financing directly through the dealership now, what I and think, the manufacturers. Again, we, we have this live chat going on, and people are just asking this question. Okay, so what, should I pay cash? Should I finance? Should I pay cash? Should I finance? Should I pay cash? Should I finance? Which one gets you the best deal? Well, it's kind of shocking because this one's contrary to what the world thinks because it's changed. As, as this slide shows you, in 2009, it very likely could have been you got a much better deal paying cash. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 2019, 2020, they want you to finance mm -hmm. to give you the best deal because they get incentives from the manufacturer who's also got the finance or banking arm of the, 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 the manufacturer business. So here's what I know from buying cars from a traditional you know, manufacturers and dealerships. When I bought my wife's last car, me and the dealer, the sales manager, worked out a deal that I would finance, even though I planned on paying cash for this vehicle, and I would keep the loan for two months. That's what he, he made me promise. Now, now, keep Brian, this loan open for two months so I get my incentive from the manufacturer on this loan, and I can give you this much more off of the purchase. That sounds insane. Yeah. Hey, I want to pay cash, but no, no, don't just pay us two months of interest, and then we'll do this deal. It'll be a better deal, and you can just pay it off. Oh, and by the way, months. the deal was better than the interest. I mean, it was, it's not like, so, I mean, it's unique. As you can see from the slot of where dealers make their money, more of it's coming from financing than actually selling the car to you. So, of course, that makes sense. I mean, times are changing. Just make sure you understand this stuff when you're buying a vehicle. So, okay, so we wanted to throw out some tips and tricks for you to think about on, like, how to actually get a good deal. What are some things you should think about? Uh, and here's the first one. This, you know, I thought this was common knowledge, but then when I talked to a lot of my friends, uh, they didn't realize this. Uh, buy at the end of the month or end of the year, especially if there's a new model year coming out. One of my favorite things to do is I don't have to have, like we're right here at the end of 2020. 
I don't have to go buy a 2021. I'm going to be pretty happy if I have a brand new 2020. And if I know they're trying to unload that inventory, a lot of times at the end of the month or end of the year or end of the model year, you can get a better, better deal better deal by picking up those late year models. I thought it, because I love it when Daniel give us, gives us nerdy little facts mm-hmm. to throw in there, little tidbits that, that you can follow away. Feel free to use this at your upcoming Thanksgiving and Christmas parties. <laughs> the month that has the biggest MSRP discount is the month of December. Shocking. So, I mean, I'm just telling you, this ties in when we say buy at the end of the month or at the end of the year, it is supported by the fact that the biggest month for the biggest discounts on MSRP, manufacturers, you know, sucky, ripoff price. (laughs) I should have said stupid. That's a, that's a I, that's, less offensive word. Well, it just sounds more adult, it's, I guess. It's all right. Uh, here, here's the second thing that you can do. Now, this one, again, seems silly. Ask for extras. I always, uh, now that I have kids, I realize just how valuable all-season floor mats in. And dare I say, I'll never drive another car that doesn't have all-season floor mats. But I don't want to pay the dealership $250, $350, whatever they charge for it. So I always make sure, as one of the last little bargaining chips I say is, hey, look, if you throw in the mats, I'm happy to, to take off and get out of your hair and we'll do this. So you can do that with floor mats. You can do it with oil change or services. Uh, or or you, can have, you can have some swag thrown in. That, that's a boat. I don't know in. who would want that, but that's if you're a buying a Tesla thing and you want a Tesla shirt. They, yeah, they didn't give me a Tesla shirt. See, that you didn't do it right. See, if he, <laughs> had he listened to the show, he would have done it better. But there are things you can ask to them to throw in that will help. Again, you're squeezing the balloon. You just care about the dollars coming out of your back pocket. Just to give you the why on these things, they can do these things because they're high profit, high margin type things that they can throw into the deal. It doesn't cost them much money. Yep. You can't buy at the same prices for those floor mats that they can, so it doesn't cost them much to throw that in. Same thing on services. It's expensive, especially nowadays with these synthetic oils oh, that, the, that the manufacturers are requiring on, on these fancier cars. It's very easy for them to say, yeah, we'll give you a few free oil changes than it is for you to pay for those oil changes. So, so take advantage of that. It's not costing them much, but it's really benefiting you in the long term. There's an arbitrage situation there. So it sounds like, Brian, we've gone through this and we're like, okay, do your work, do your research, ask for this, do this, do this. It's very active, this car buying process. <laughs> it, it is a lot of work. And so somebody might be saying, I don't, I don't know, guys. I, I just I want my car... I don't want to go through all that. Now, but I'm a mutant, so I can't just go pay MSRP. Is there a solution out there for me? Yeah, you just, you know, it's it's one of those things. Pay somebody to do this for you. (laughs) I mean, and by the way, it's not even as expensive as you would think. You know, if you're a member of Costco, they have a car buying service. I can tell you, um, when I checked into it, it it, it appears from my research, works really well with domestic manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So if you know you're buying from a domestic manufacturer, um, you know, look at Costco um, it might be a way for you just to go ahead and get a good price locked so in right this there. Is, all, these are car buying services where they'll actually go out. You tell them, I want uh, this car, this make, this model, these options. And they'll actually go do the search for you. And they'll actually find 
different dealerships willing to play ball and do different deals. So they're kind of serve as a go-between that are working on your behalf for your benefit, right? Uh, no doubt. And then the other one we put on here was car bargains. Sure. I mean, I've, I've heard actually what, what's interesting, if anybody's gone and watched some of our older shows, I used to talk about True Car mm-hmm. and other things, but according to Car Bargains, now realize this is on their website, so take it with, they do have a bias on making sure that their data is as good, but they had listed that they get about a $1,500 better deal versus true car prices just by using theirs. And it's about it's about 250 bucks to use them. You know, anecdotally, that's not incredibly surprising because just since we mentioned true car, I do feel like I used to use true car a lot and it used to be a lot more beneficial, I think, than it has been recently. So I can believe that there's probably yeah. another player in there that can perhaps get you an even better deal. And then we put this one because I actually did this on my second new car. This has been in some time, but I was really impressed at the service um, we, you know, we have a, a friend down at Peach State mm-hmm. Credit Union in Georgia. They had a car buying service, right. so you know it was one of those things they offered it to all their members, and um, did a pretty good job because they were running enough volume that they had connections with all the ma- major dealerships in the area. And it was, once again, another set price. Yep. So those relationships paid for. If you don't feel comfortable doing this, you might have a connection or relationship to help you do this mm-hmm. and get a, get a better deal than you could do for yourself. See, what I, what I think is beautiful is the name of the game is Army of Dollar Bills. That, that's what we're working mm-hmm. towards here. We're all trying to figure out how can we get as many soldiers into our Army of Dollar Bills as possible. There's another financial guy that we know. He always talks about, hey, don't. Don't worry about the lattes. That's not where you're screwing it up. Worry about the big purchases. One of those big purchases is buying a car. We're all faced with it. We all have to do it. If you can be a financial mutant that can stretch your dollars 5 10% further than your peers, that's going to be more soldiers that you can put in your army earlier to help you work towards financial independence sooner. It's just one piece of the big financial life puzzle. And that's actually a great closing in the fact that, because a lot of people, I think, fall prey to the marketing arm of the auto industry because they are one of the biggest advertising purchasers in the country. You know, I think that they're right there with, you know, domestic beer. I was going to say beer, You know, yeah. pharma, big pharma, but they're right there, car manufacturers. Don't fall susceptible to the marketing guys. You need to know when and where should I put every dollar. You want to be a good field general. We have a f- great free deliverable. Yep. If you'll go to moneyguy.com slash resources, there is a free deliverable for the financial order of operations. There is an instruction manual for your dollars. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if the free, if you look at this and you need even more detail, we also offer a course right. that will give you worksheets. It'll also give you gentle nudges on all the things you need to be thinking about as well as personalized commentary from us. But here's the thing. You might even get to a situation, you've made it through the financial order of sure. operations, but you're still, you've now, you've started small. The abundant cycle's taken hold where you came here, you know, 14 years ago, you learned, apply, applied the concepts and grew your assets. And now you're at the point you need a true financial advisor to kind of take you beyond the do-it-yourself. Yep. Consider bound wealth. We work with clients all across the country. That is the abundant cycle. That's what I love about doing this show is we give just give you completely free of charge, great information, knowing complexity will come find you naturally. You That's don't right. have to go seek it. It's going to happen just by becoming successful, and you'll have a great partner to help you work through whatever questions you have as long as you make it through the process. Go check out our websites, moneyguy.com and aboundwealth.com. If you've not subscribed on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe and go crush that like button. No. Okay. Money Guy team, out. 
The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.